But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who ascended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the glorious gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, for reminded this morning that he has accomplished salvation and he is doing a good work in our hearts. I pray now that as we hear your word, may you align our hearts to see the beautiful picture that you have created for the church. May you open our eyes to behold the glories of Christ and to see your purposes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. studying through this wonderful series entitled Partnering Together, How Team Gateway Achieves Unity Through Diversity. All of this in an effort to, to institute the Office of Deacons at Gateway. And so the last couple of weeks, just to refresh our minds, we looked a couple of weeks ago about how elders lead, that they are essential priori priority and position in the church, how God chooses the elders how the individual has a desire, and obviously how the congregation affirms. We saw that elders are supposed to feed and protect and lead and to manage the flock. And then last week we studied about how deacons facilitate. They're the peacemakers, the ones who help maintain unity in the body. We looked at Acts 6, where certain widows were neglected, and their ultimate role was to facilitate so that the body would be united. They're shock absorbers who liberates the elders to do the work of praying and teaching. They're servants who have a godly character. They help in facilities, events, finances, care, benevolence, or whatever else is needed in that church at that given point in time. And so the question naturally arises in our minds, well, we have the office of elder, we have the office of deacon. It seems like everything is taken care of. What do I need to do as a member of the church? Where do I fit in? And oftentimes this question arises because of a faulty 
understanding of ministry in the church. I came to this understanding many years ago through reading the book, The Trellis and the Vine, and being around godly men, that ministry is not programs, ministry is people. Programs are there to help facilitate the ministry of the people, but programs are secondary and people come first. And so programs have their place, but they are simply channels through which we serve the people. In our passage this morning, as we've already heard it, to the church of Ephesus, Paul is encouraging the church to use their Christ-bought gifts to build up his body. And so we are members one of another. And so we go back to a few New Testament illustrations that I want to look at with you to see both the individual and the corporate aspect of the church. And so corporately, we as the church were the temple, as Ephesians 2.21 states. And individually, for the temple to be built up, there are stones. We are corporally Christ's flock, but individually, you need sheep in that flock for it to be a flock. We are the household of God, Individually, we are brothers and sisters of one another, and we are the body of Christ, where individually we are members. There would be no flock, there would be no temple, no household, and no body if each member was not present. How can you have a temple without stones? How can you have a flock without sheep? How can you have a body without members? How can you have a family without brothers and sisters and how can you have the Golden State Warriors without Steph, Draymond, and Clay Thompson? They each play their part for the team to be a team. And this is what we read in verse 16 of our passage, as you see on the screen, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. Sometimes we live under this notion that how is this possible? Is it possible? How do I fit in? And am I really that important? Do I really make that much of an impact? I'm just one person among maybe 50 or 100 in the church congregation. And so I want to share with you three common models of service in the church that you might have seen, or maybe that you have been a part of, maybe that you have categorized in your mind. And some of you might relate to one of these more than others. And the first one is that the minority does the majority. And this is the 80-20 rule. And this is what naturally, if you go across many churches, on average, 20% of the congregation does 80% of ministry in the church. Whether we're talking about formal ministry like children's or preaching or leading a home group, or we're talking about just ministry that is organic like fellowship and inviting people over to their home and practicing hospitality. 20% of people do 80% of the work in the church. And this is common and this is prevalent and typically the issue with this is a lack of commitment to the body of Christ, a lack of ownership. This is our church, but it's more like your church and I kind of come on Sunday and I add to it, but I'm not really taking full ownership of it. And this is what happens, we get to the 80-20 model. The second model that we see is we pay and you serve. This is called the office model. The official offices in the church, whether that is an elder pastor or a deacon. And so the pastor teaches, he preaches, and that is his job. He puts in hours every single week to prepare the sermon. We have a music ministry 
person who's paid quarter time or half time, and they lead in the worship, the kid's pastor takes care of the kids, and so forth and so on. The ones on the payroll are the ones who serve. And this idea originated before people were getting paid from the Roman Catholic Church because of the development of the priesthood from the Old Testament. And so only priests could perform the Mass. People were not allowed to read the scripture for fear that they might misunderstand or misteach it. And Latin was reserved only for the popes. And people didn't serve at all. They were beggars coming to church and leaving. And this is exactly what the Reformation changed. This is what we're going to be celebrating next month. The Reformation fought against this clergy versus lady, this hierarchy. And the emphasis was that every single member is important and can serve in the local body. As we get to this third model, this is what we call the biblical model. Each member uses their gift. Seems very simple, but this is exactly what scripture teaches. And this is the goal of where I want us to be at once we are done looking through our passage this morning from Ephesians 4. Now the key here is that the biblical model, whether they are an elder, a deacon, or the congregation, the key here is gifts, using and applying your gift. You see, the elders, they lead with their gifts. What kind of gifts do elders at times have? Teaching, the, the gift of caring or encouragement. And they use those gifts to help the body to grow. Their office is an elder, but their gifts are varied. Now we look at the office of a deacon, correct? A deacon could have similar gifts of teaching, care, and encouragement, but maybe also administration, maybe counseling. Their office is a deacon, but their gifts are varied, and they use their gifts in that office. Now, when we get to the place of a member, the congregation serves with these gifts. The gifts could also be administration, encouragement, counseling, and teaching, but you might not be in the office of an elder or a deacon, but you still have a gift that you use in the context of the body for the body to grow. And this is what we see here just on one line. We have elders, deacons, members, members, deacons, elders, members, everyone just using their gifts for the building up of the body. And so my proposition this morning is use your Christ-bought gift through the equipping of pastor-teacher to maintain unity, achieve maturity, and build each other up in love. <clears throat> Once again, we use our Christ-bought gift. Christ, he bought us for himself, for his purposes, so that we are safe from sin and safe to serve. It is equipped through the pastor-teacher, and the purpose of these gifts is to maintain unity, achieve maturity, and build each other up in love. And so we want to look at three attitudes to have when we're ministering to the church to attain unity and maturity in the body. And I'll just share these three, and then we're going to look at each one of them individually. The first one is trust in Christ's distribution of the gifts. We have to trust in Christ's distribution of the gifts. We must commit ourselves to Christ's pattern for the gifts and rest in God's sovereign working through the gifts. And as we saw in our passage, it's all about Christ. It's Christ's gifts. It's Christ's church. It's Christ's glory. It's Christ's spirit. It's Christ's working. And so this answers the question, what does a healthy church look like? Now I want to begin with an overview of the book of Ephesians. And we're just going to look at chapters 1 and 3 and 46. 
So what we see here in chapters 1 to 3, what Paul lays is a foundation. He shares about the wealth of the believer. He shares about the right thinking, which is our orthodoxy, the doctrine, and the fact that we are in Christ. And in chapters 4 to 6, he begins with, therefore, right? The wealth turns into our walk because of who we are, we are living out this new life. Our right thinking begins to turn into right living. Our right doctrine leads us to right proper duty. And the fact initially that we are in Christ, which is used almost 200 times in the book of Ephesians, it turns into Christ is now in us. Christ is doing this good work in our life. And what is the purpose? The purpose of all of this we find in chapter 3, verse 10 of the book, in the book, where it is to display God's goodness and greatness on this earth. We read that the purpose is so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, it is through the church. God desires that the church is the catalyst, the vehicle to what? Display the manifold wisdom of God, that it may be named, known and seen by all. Now, as we look specifically at an epistle such as the book of Ephesus, I want us to see Christ in all the Bible. So we're going to look at Christ from like a satellite view, looking down to see how we see him through Scripture. In the beginning, Christ is seen as Christ in the Bible is through the law. The law is the foundation for Christ. It lays the foundation because it shows us that we all have a need that we cannot fulfill. Only Christ can. History is our preparation for Christ. Poetry is our aspiration for Christ, our desire for Christ. Prophecy is our expectation of Christ. Christ's first coming, Christ's second coming. Christ's birth and then Christ's victory. Sometimes the same verse sharing both of them. The Gospels is the manifestation of Christ, Christ coming down on earth, living life. Acts is the proclamation of Christ. The epistles is where we are, is the interpretation and application of Christ. So this is the idea that Christ is in us and he is doing a good work. And in Revelation, it's the consummation of Christ, when Christ will bring all things together. But we, friends, we're in the section of epistles. We are interpreting and applying Christ. What does it mean for you to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a derogatory term used in the first century to describe Christians? Oh, you little Christ. It is to show us that we can walk and live like Christ. And so as we look first at this point that we need to trust in Christ's distribution of the gifts, we want to see that Christ is the giver of the gifts. You see in verse 7 it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So Christ gives the gifts. If we can move on to the next slide, please. Um, Christ is the giver of these gifts, and the purpose of these gifts is to make Christ known, as we already read in Ephesians 3. Through the manifold, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Christ gives the gifts for the purpose of his glory. It's about him and not so much about us. Paul begins with this word but in verse 7. He is contrasting where there was first unity, now he is saying there is diversity in the body. 
The unity in the body we see beginning in verse 4. Look with me. It says there is one body, there is one spirit, and just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's no stronger way that he could have showed that we have unity. This is all the ways that you're united. And then he says, but grace. He speaks about the diversity that is part of the body of Christ. Paul is getting to the fact that to maintain unity, you need to have diversity. This is why Christ gives the gifts. You think about sports, which I enjoy to watch. You think about basketball. You think about who, if everyone is going to be the forward or the center, who's going to be playing point guard? We think about the, the music team that led us in worship this morning. If everyone just plays the piano, who's going to be singing and playing the drums and guitar and the bass? Or if everyone just loves to sing, who's going to be playing the instruments? In a family that God has designed, there is diversity, but because of that diversity, there's unity. There's a father, there's a mother, there are children, there are roles for each one. And because of that, it unites the family. And this is what Christ does. Christ says, I've given each one of you individually a gift, and it's different. It's not the same. Not all of you are the feet that evangelize. Not all of you are the hands that serve. Not all of you are the mouthpiece that preaches. But you are needed, and you have a specific gift to maintain unity. You see, the reality is that Christ has already united us. We are not trying to attain unity, but we are trying to maintain unity. We have already attained unity because we are one in Christ. We have, as is already said here, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. But to maintain this unity, there must be diversity in the body. And so in Christ's team, there are no players who are sitting on the bench and everyone plays a position. Now, individually, Christ gives you a gift to fit you into his greater purposes. I want to highlight this word, that grace was given to each one of us. Paul doesn't say to each of us. He says to each one of us, emphasizing individuality. The fact that we all have this. And he gives us grace. Grace, charis, is the same word that's spoken of as the grace that we know is the same word that's used for gift. And so it's something that is acquired or given without compensation and return. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And the gift that God has given you is also grace. This is not something that you can achieve on your own or you have some kind of ability. It is grace that God gives you, that Christ gives you to build up the body. Grace is the enabling power and this is why sometimes we find that maybe our ability may waver or wane, but our gift can continue to flourish because Christ enables us to be able to do the work in his body. It's according to the measure of Christ's gift. He sovereignly delegates the gifts as the head of the church. In verse 8, we read that he gave gifts to men, in verse 11, it says, he gave. In verse 12, it is his body. And I think about this, a wonderful just thought that we see 
As we read the Bible, we know that God created us for himself. We know that God knows us. He has knit us in our mother's womb, that he has called and has chosen us in eternity past. And all those things we would agree with, and we say yes and amen. But more than that, he gives you a gift specifically for you, for the specific body that you are a part of, to use it to unify the body and to help it to grow. So Christ, he gives the gifts. Christ also attained the right to give the gifts. Look with me in verses 8 to 10. In these verses, we see Christ ascending on high. But in verse 9, Paul reminds us that before Christ ascended, he first descended onto the earth. And maybe the first time as Yulia was reading this, or you read it before, as I would read it multiple times, I would ask the question, what does this mean? What does it mean that he ascended on high, then he descended, and then this obscure passage from Psalm 68, verse 18, that is used of David, is used of Christ, and there's spoils, and he divides it. Paul, what are you trying to get at here? And what we see here is that Christ obtained the gifts for us. What Paul is saying is that he is depicting Christ as the victor on earth, ascending on high after defeating Satan, sin, and death. He takes with him a host of believers. When he ascended on high, he left a host of captives. Those who were first captives to Satan, he has won the war, and he has taken those captives now to be his, and then he gave gifts to men. So all the spoils, all the riches of Ephesians 1.3 that we read, all that was given on the day of Pentecost, he now delegates to the church every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is what he says on the night before his death. He says, if I don't go, I won't send you the spirit, but if I go, it'll be far better for you. And so for Christ to achieve this, he had to first descend on earth. He had to become man. He was humbled as a man. And then he was exalted as victor because he reigns, because he has conquered. And therefore, in verse 10, it says, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heaven that he might fill all in all. He stooped to the lowest place to accomplish the plan of salvation, to accomplish the eternal purposes of God, of Genesis 3.15 coming to completion. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so Christ comes out as the victor. He is above all. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, he has put all things, all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so now Christ, who is reigning, and above all, he is the one who's conquered. He now gives gifts to men. He gives the right to be exalted. And he rules his church and administers the gifts. And this is how Christ attained the right to give the gifts. And Christ, as the bride is, as the groom is giving the gifts to the church, his bride. And because he loves the church, he says, church, this is what you would need. And he gives us a list in verse 11 saying, church, these are gifts that I'm giving you. And some of these gifts include people. That's interesting. I didn't expect people to be gifts. But as we look at the continuing thought here, and he gave, so he gave gifts to men, and he gave who? 
The apostles and the prophets, as we know, are the ones who laid the foundations in Ephesians 2.20 for the work of the church. And then continuing, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. The apostles and the prophets who had specific roles and specific qualifications to lay the foundation. The evangelists who go out and share the gospel of Christ. And then the shepherd teachers, those who provide the loving care for the flock. Those who maintain personal relationships with those under their charge. Those who relate with people with humility, patience, and gentleness. He gave the gift of the pastor-teacher. Interesting. Now, we know that beyond these gifts here, we have five lists of gifts in the New Testament. Because the question probably coming into your mind as you are listening to this, well, Christ gave gifts to men. Christ gave gifts to the body. And I know that I have a gift because I've received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is working in my life. Well, what is my gift? Well, I want to read a few passages that list some gifts, but these are not all the gifts that we see that could be possible in the church. These are just some lists. And they're divided in two types of gifts. We have speaking gifts and serving gifts. The speaking gifts of teaching and preaching and counseling and encouragement through words and then serving gifts, whatever that might look like, whether that is administration whether that is serving in various capacities for the church building, whatever it is, they are serving gifts. And in Romans 12, we read, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So we see we have prophecy, service, teaching, contribution, acts of mercy, leading. These are all gifts. In 1 Peter 4, we see a couple more gifts that are added to this. We read, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And again, it's the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see that that's the, always the ultimate purpose of us using our gifts, is that the body is leading to maintain that unity. It's gaining maturity and growing for the purpose of God being glorified through Christ and through us and us using our gifts. Now, I want to ask you a few questions as we reflect on this first point of trusting in Christ's distribution of gifts. And the first question is this. Do you know what is your gift? Like if I was to ask you today, right after church, say I was to stand at the exit door and ask you, what is your gift? Would you be able to clearly articulate what your gift is? Would you be able to say, I've prayed through this. I've thought about this. I've sought the Lord and I have served in the body. And over time, I've realized that people have been telling me that I have the gift of fill in the blank. Encouragement, gift of hospitality, gift of teaching, gift of administration. And so what if you don't know what your gift is? I want to give you some guidelines. The first thing you should do is pray and seek God's guidance. 
The Holy Spirit is in his church, and he will guide you. And sometimes we don't know our hearts. Sometimes we might want to do something that is easy for us, something that we are already have an ability in, and therefore we think that ability is our gift. But that's not true. I know of a pastor who I came over to his house, and he was extremely hospitable. Their kids are a little bit older, around 12, 10, 15. We came over with our little kids. They were like five, three, and one. And as we entered their home, their older kids already had games set up to take care of our younger kids so my wife and I could rest so we could have an adult conversation around the dinner table. And they served us with a lot of food. And they were just so hospitable and so caring. And I've known this pastor for many years. And as we were talking, he shared with me that he is an introvert. And I thought to myself, no way. No way you are an introvert. You are so kind. You are a greeter at church. You invite me over to your house. You take care of us so well. You have, you have such a good way of leading a conversation. There is no way you're an introvert. And he said that he had to work really hard on going beyond himself to be able to apply and abide and obey the scriptures to do the one another's of the New Testament, and he had to get beyond himself of being an introvert. But sometimes, me being an extrovert, I'm saying, well, my gift is, uh, I guess, hospitality. It's easy for me to have people in my house start conversations. That's my gift. Anywhere we are sometimes inclined to go, we think that's automatically our gift. But we don't know our hearts. We don't know what God might want for this specific body that you're a part of here at Gateway Bible Church. His gift might be different than what you are naturally able to do. Sometimes those fit well together. Sometimes they don't. So we must pray and seek God's guidance. Second, we make a sober assessment of your spiritual strength and abilities. So ask the question, what do you like to do? Are you good in teaching the scriptures? Are you good in interpreting the Bible? Do you know how to decipher what's going on in someone's heart and ask the right questions to to really dig out what's going on in the deep well of their heart to find out their situation, well, you must be good for counseling because that's what counselors do. What is, your, what is your natural spiritual strength and ability? You see, God leads us toward that which he has prepared for us. Sometimes there's this idea that, some, that what we have to do goes against our desires. Like, I really love to teach, and so therefore I enjoy teaching classes and preaching on Sunday, but maybe because what I love to do to, is teaching, maybe I shouldn't do that. I should go find something else. Well, no, sometimes God has created us with this natural desires that we have, and they fit well with the gift that he has given us. And thirdly, you seek the wisdom of other Christians about your gift. Seek wisdom. So you ask around as you're serving in the body, what, what do you notice that I am good at? What do you notice that I lean towards or that I can benefit others with in the church body. You see, before Timothy was ordained, the elders laid their hands on him. They approved him as an elder. They said, Timothy, we see that you fit these qualifications, and so we as the elders are going to approve you. And so that's the first question, do you know your gift? Second, are you content with the gift that Christ gave you? Are you content with it? You see, Christ gave you this gift. And as I think about being content with the gift that Christ gives us, my mind really just naturally goes back to elementary school. 
and choosing teams to play sports. Whether that's baseball or kickball, and you're standing in a line with a bunch of other kids, and there's two captains that are choosing people. And sometimes you don't get chosen first, second, or third, or fourth, or fifth. You get chosen last, or the one right before last. And you just feel like, man, they're seeing that I'm not that beneficial for this team. Yes, I'm playing a part, I'm playing a role in this team, but they don't see my need or that I can do more things. Sometimes we might be unhappy with that. Are you content with the gift that Christ has given you? There's gifts that are more visible in the church. There are gifts that are less visible. All of them are vital and important. And last question is, do you understand that as a member of the body, using your gift is vital to the health of the church? Using your gift is vital to the health of the church. Sometimes we might not value our gift, but the church certainly does value the gift. Friends, what you do that is part of the body as we think about it, whether the church right, is the family, is the body, everything works so well and intricately together, you are valuable. Second, commit yourself to Christ's pattern for the gift. Commit yourself. We trust in Christ's distribution. All right, I believe, Jesus, this is what you have for me. I'm going to commit myself to the pattern that you have for the gifts, and this is where we come to use our gifts. As we think about growth, as we think about maturity, we know that many churches here and all around the world are seeking ways to grow. Many books are written about the church growth movement. Many books are written about just spiritual growth in general. But Christ lays out for us here the pattern for church growth. He says, I'm going to build my church. And if we want to grow, we follow the templates that he has left for us. And I always say, this is wonderful. This is how God designed things. And we just have to follow in the way that he's already created. This reminds me of a time when we just got married many years ago. And we had to <clears throat> move into our duplex and we had to buy furniture. And where do you go to buy furniture when you are a broke, newlywed couple that needs to get furniture? Answer, Ikea. All right? Well, you can go to, uh, you know, other places. But we go to Ikea. And everything in Ikea revolves around this one tool. Do you know what that tool is? <laughs> it's that key. If you don't have that key inside that box, you are a lost person. <laughs> but that key is going to put everything together in Ikea. And so here we are. We come home. And, you know, I'm a man. I just got married. I got to show my wife that I can do things without the manual. Open the box, take the manual off to the side. Start putting together the shelf that we needed. Put in the shelf together, put in the shelf together. Three quarters of the way I got it in, and there's one last piece of wood left. I'm like, uh, can't put it in this way, it doesn't fit that way. <laughs> I guess I had to put it in at the beginning before I put these all these other pieces on. And so here I am unscrewing everything and taking the manual, looking at the manual, and then beginning to follow it. What was done throughout the time when I just didn't follow the blueprints of the manual of how to create this? Well, I wasted time. I messed up some of the tools that I needed, some of the screws, made some extra holes that were not necessary, and I had to start all over. And the reality, church, is that sometimes when we don't follow Christ's model for how he desires his church to be built, number one, we're wasting time. Number two, the church isn't functioning like it should function. 
And then number three, things are getting messed up. The, the body is at times sick because one or another member is not using their body. I mean, their, their gift. And Christ desires for us to be fruitful, to be maturing and growing. So here is the pattern that he has left for us. And I want us to see the three steps. <clears throat> the first is to equip the pastor teachers. Look with me in verse um, 11. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers. The shepherd teachers do what? Equip the saints for the work of ministry. So the pastor teacher equips the saints. They do the work of ministry. And all of this is for the building up of the body. So once again, the gift of pastor teacher is given to the church body to equip the saints so that they may do the work of ministry so that as both of them are working together, the body is built up. And so what does it mean to equip? To equip is to supply what is lacking, to make it fit for a certain purpose. It's like when you move into a house and you need to bring that house to completion. You need to furnish it. You need to get a couch. A living room needs a couch. A living room needs a TV stand, unless you don't believe in TVs. A living room needs a coffee table for it to function like a living room. Your office would probably need some office chairs, a, a table, a standing desk. It probably needs some pens and paper and maybe a printer for it to function as an office. Your kitchen is going to need some knives, some silverware, some cooking utensils for it to function like a kitchen. Your crib is going to need a your nursery is going to need a crib, a changing table, a lot of diapers and a lot of wipes. <laughs> You see, for you to be a Christian, you are equipped, you're given tools for you to be able to do the work that God has called you to do. The pastor teacher equips, he supplies what is lacking. And that could be the truth in our minds. It could be thoughts. It could be the truth from his word about parenting or family life. It could be the truth about work. It could be the truth about the church lacking in your thinking. Or it could be something that we need to learn physically. Right, what we need to do as we serve. And so the saints do not call a pastor and pay him to do the work. They call him and follow his leadership as he, through the word, equips the congregation to do their job. This is what we see in 2 Timothy. The man of God may be complete, what? Equipped for every good work. How does the equipping happen? The word of God. The word of God that works in our life. Nothing is more necessary, John Stott says, for the building up of God's church in every age than ample supply of God-gifted teachers. It is teaching which builds up the church. It is teachers who are needed most. And so the saints are given men as gifts. And they're given gifts for the work of ministry. In other words, the work of ministry is in order to do what you should do as a believer. Service is to be done by the whole body. It can only be done when each one is using their gift. I always say there is no Rambo pastor. There is no Rambo Christianity. That we are all just conquerors on our own, by ourselves, on an individual island. We all function and we work together for the work of ministry. The work of ministry is that which you should be doing as a believer. As a parent, you are shepherding your children and raising them up 
in the love and admonition of the Lord. As a pastor, pastors are teaching and equipping the saints. As a worker, wherever you are working, you are being equipped to be the light and the salt in the place that you are at. As a mom, you are doing one of the greatest works on planet Earth. And so we know this because in Ephesians, a little earlier, we read that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works, and we should walk in these works. And so how can this look? Well, John MacArthur has a, a quote that I just want to read for you. He says this, that the church was never intended to be only a building, a place where lonely people walk in, listen, and walk out still alone but a place of fellowship. In true fellowship, Christians don't judge one another. They don't bite and devour each other. They don't provoke, envy, lie to one another, speak evil or grumble about one another. Since true fellowship builds up, the godly will receive one another and be kind and tender-hearted toward one another. They will forbear and forgive one another, serve one another, practice hospitality unbegrudgingly, um, ungrudgingly uh, to one another admonish, instruct, submit to one another, comfort one another. That is the true fellowship of Christ's body. Life, touching life, to bring blessing and spiritual growth. The great need of the church has always been spiritual maturity rather than organizational restructuring. And so we see here the pattern. But after the pattern, we see the purpose. What is the purpose of the way that God has designed things? We continue to read here, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So why do you need the tools that are given through the teaching? Why? To build up. It's that same word, oikodomeo, to build, to edify one another, is the same word that is used here. The building up or the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up. And so someone has a hammer, someone has a nail, Someone has some lumber, someone has the flooring, someone has the lamp, someone has the couch, and they're coming together and they're building up this spiritual house. They are working together for Christ's body to be built up, to bring it to greater completion, to assist in the construction of an incomplete building. And so Wearsby says that gifts are not toys to play with, they are tools to build with. And the reality is this, in the beginning of verse 13, we see a few key words that I want to highlight. How long does this go on for? It says, until we all attain. Until we all attain. First of all, it's all of us. It's we all. Sanctification is a community project. All of us are part of this. Christian growth and progress does not occur in isolation. And this is one of the problems that I keep seeing as I've been pastoring for the last number of years is this individualism that has permeated America has permeated also the church to a certain degree. We live by ourselves on our own island and it doesn't really help that we have our whole life fitting into our pocket. We're talking about the iPhone or the Android. And there we can also build our own life on social media. And through that we build our own worldview. And it seems like we have enough there, but God created us for community because God created us in his image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. Let us make man, let us make man in our image. 
He created us for community, for us to live together, to support one another, to live like the body, to live like the family. And so we all, until we might attain or we attain, the reality is this, is that this is going to be ongoing until we get to glory. We will not be able to reach the mature or the fullness of Christ until we get to glory. And so we're continually using our gifts for the body to be built up. And this is how long you use your gift for until, until, and in order that the church will reach this goal. And so what are the goals? Let's look at some of the goals that we have in using your gift. Paul has a target. He's like, here's the bullseye that I want you to aim towards for you with your gifts. First is the unity of the faith. What is the faith? The faith that was inaugurated in Christ through Jew and Gentile being merged together as one. That we're called to maintain the unity of the spirit, the one faith. And the reality is that there is no unity apart from spiritual unity. The unity of faith, being baptized united in Christ, is why we're united to one another. I want to ask you a question. Do you know how you're supposed to tune 100 pianos or 100 guitars so that they all harmonize? The reality is this. You would need a tool called a tuning fork. A tuning fork, when you hit that tuning fork, it's this little metal object. It gives you the sound or sound of A. So in music, A, B, C, D, right? It starts with C, D, right? It gives you the sound A, and then with that tuning fork, you tune each individual piano or guitar so that to, to the tuning fork. And if you correctly tune all the 100 pianos to the one single tuning fork, guess what's going to happen with all the pianos? They're all going to have one sound. They're all going to harmonize, and they're all going to be in tune. Do you see what we're talking about here? When all of us are tuned to Christ, when all of us are abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit, then we will have the unity of faith that we're talking about here. Then we will be able to combat the lies of the devil. Then we're going to be able to go against the currents of the world. And so that is the first thing is this unity of faith. We're using our gifts to have this unity of faith that it comes through Christ. Second, it's the knowledge of the Son of God, and we're talking about personal knowledge here. What Paul is saying is that you're going to have this personal knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, isn't this what we were created for, to have a relationship with God? Isn't this why God saved us, to bring us to himself, as we read in 1 Peter? It's not abstract knowledge. It's not theological knowledge. And this is why, friends, church goes beyond Sunday morning. Sunday morning is the opening act but life continues through home groups. Life continues through one-on-one -on -one fellowship. Life continues through small groups. Because it is knowledge applied where we begin to see what Christ-likeness looks like. I could preach here for two or three hours preaching to you about love and how love is sacrificial and love takes initiative and love, it goes beyond itself. And then sometimes you come across our brother or sister in the church who sacrifices their whole Saturday to move you from one home to another, and you see that love in action, you're like, no way they did that. And I know they had other plans. Or you see in your relationship with your spouse how your wife or your husband, they sacrificed or went out of their way when you know they were with the kids for 10 hours, 
and their head's about to blow up and they need a break, but they continue to sacrifice. And you see that Christ-like love You see, this is what we're talking about here, a personal knowledge of God living in the body of Christ where we see Christ's likeness among the members. And therefore, we gain a more personal knowledge of Christ because we understand what Christ's life looked like. This is a long process. In Ephesians 1, a few chapters earlier, we read that we have this revelation in the knowledge of him. In 118, it says that you may know the hope, the riches, and the power of Christ. And thirdly, what the goal of using the gifts here is that we may reach mature manhood, the measure, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Pretty much, we're talking about mature manhood and the full stature are one in the same word that Paul is using. The maturity is reaching a full or natural growth or development. If you are have already kids that are older in age or have left the home, you're probably saying a hearty amen right now. Thank the Lord that they have reached maturity. (laughs) Because throughout your lifetime, you have experienced working and living with your children when they are immature, when they need guidance. And this is what Paul was experiencing with the church of Galatia and he, Galatians. And he says, my little, little, little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I can't wait for Christ to be formed in you. Because you keep acting like toddlers and you keep acting like little kids. And I want to just act like adults already. Can we just move on from that? And this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying there's expectations of a specific age group of a person who is mature behavior that's fitting for an older age group. And you, I want you to be there spiritually. Yes, you're there physically. I want you to get there spiritually. I want you to be that mature man and woman that looks more and more like Christ day by day. Not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Not lost in the direction of where to go in life. Not constantly in this besetting sin that you can't get over for years that is ongoing, but maturing, maturing in the fullness, having every necessary component of Christ. This is the idea of Christ-likeness, right? Maturing toward Christ-likeness. This is what we read a few chapters later. Paul says, be imitators of God. In Romans, we read, be conformed to the image of Christ. And so we see here the goals The goals of patterning our life according to Christ's design for the church. And so, a few questions for reflection. Are you committed to Christ's pattern for church growth? Are you committed to Christ's pattern? Do you understand that it's people, not pastor? I was just very uh, tempted to title the sermon, People, Not Pastor. (laughs) Do you understand that God has called you to do the work of ministry? That the pastor equips you to do that work? Secondly, do you make yourself available for fellowship? Yes, you have your gift. Do you make yourself available? That's the context. The home groups, the men's and women's ministries, hospitality, these are the main contexts where the gifts are applied. Yes, some gifts are applied on Sunday, but not all of you can use your gift on Sunday. The gifts are applied in smaller contexts. Are you experiencing, last question, the unity of faith growth and personal knowledge, and maturing. And I want to tell you, this is how you measure whether you are committed to Christ's pattern. You see, if you're growing in unity with other believers, growth in your personal knowledge of Christ, and maturing 
in Christ's likeness, this is how you know you've committed yourself to the pattern of um, the church that Christ has designed. Now, <clears throat> after we trust in God's Christ's distribution of gifts, after we commit ourselves to his pattern, what do we need to do? Oh, we just need to rest. Sometimes don't we just need to rest? We know what we need to do. We're serving, we're, we're toiling, we're working. And we're saying, Lord, is this going to bring fruit? Is this, is this going to impact lives? Is this going to change? You know, I was, kind of, I was driving here this morning and I was praying, Lord, you know, I'm having that, that preacher's prayer. Lord, is this going to do anything? It's just one sermon <laughs> out of 52. And I have to preach to myself that his word is not going to go forth void. I have to preach to myself that God is doing his work by his Holy Spirit through his word. And I have to trust and I have to just rest in God's sovereignty. And so we have to rest, friends, in God's sovereign working through the gifts. And this is, this is the fruit of the gifts. This is Paul turning the camera focus to the result of what maturing us in Christ is going to yield us. And what he does here first, he has this contrast that we see. First of all, it is God is maturing. And there's a contrast. We're not going to be like children, but we're going to speak the truth in love. We're not going to be immature children who are unstable, but we're going to speak the truth in love so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ likeness. Immature children who are unstable. Where we spoke about immature children, the children who touch the hot gas fireplace that you have outside on your deck, the children who take your baking soda and they pour it all over the floor. When you say that it's time to bake, they don't know where to put it. They just know these are the ingredients and they want to help daddy bake some waffle sundaes for waffle Sunday as a tradition in your family home. Immaturity. Immaturity. There's also Christian immaturity. People who are unstable. The changeable nature of a child. Uh, what does immaturity look like? It's excessively reacting to things that happen in life. Have some kind of extreme reactions to certain things that happen. To not be firm and to be grounded. Paul probably is thinking about his voyage on the Mediterranean when the waves and the wind, the wind would stir up these huge waves. And there it is, uh, instability of the ship. Sometimes he would be shipwrecked. Immaturity is portraying distressing hesitation. Why and where does this come from? Not placing our reliance upon the word of God. Not committing ourselves to the pattern that God has designed. How are they swayed? By teaching that is trickery. By teaching that is crafty. We think about what's happened in the last 20, 20, 30 years in America New waves of teaching coming in and out. Teachings of how to build a church, about how to parent. Maybe what some psychologist or psychiatrist says, something new that comes out and you're wondering, am I teaching and training my kids properly? You read a book that says, discipline your children, the rod is wonderful. You read another book and you meet some people who don't even discipline with the rod at all and then you're lost. What do I do? <laughs> Have I been doing it all wrong for the last three years? Think about salvation. We think about gospel plus. Yes, we believe in our minds and in our hearts that Christ is enough for us, but have you ever wavered in your faith and wondering if you really are a child of God? Because you look at your life and it doesn't seem to line up to Scripture. And Satan, he continues to shoot the arrows 
to quench your faith and send you lies? And so then we say, well, how can I measure my Christian walk? Well, it's gospel plus. It's easy to just measure. If I go to church, I read my Bible every day, and I do at least one good act a week. Sometimes we're tossed to and fro about God's truth and spiritual blessing. Sometimes it's people being tossed to and fro by a second baptism of the Holy Spirit, or whatever else it is, a teaching or a method that comes out. Do you find yourself questioning if what you're doing in the Christian life is true, tossed around to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning? Christ desires for us to be mature adults who are grounded. And we get there by doing verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, where to grow up in every way to him who is the head and to Christ. This is how it happens, speaking the truth in love. This is the means that the body grows up. Jesus came, and he's described in John 1 as full of grace and full of truth. Full of love and full of truth. Full of said, right, the Old Testament description of God and justice. You see, if you divorce love from truth, think about times in your life when you have, someone has spoken to you, when they've divor- divorced love from truth. <laughs> you didn't really want to speak to that person for a while after that, huh? It's a harsh manner that fails to win anybody. Think about truth divorced from love. Fluffiness that doesn't really produce any change. But when those two are wed together, that is the most spectacular wedding. Truth and love put together. Grace and truth. Christ-likeness. We are speaking this so that what? What's the purpose? To We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And the truth that we speak to one another is the message of the gospel. The truths are the truths of Scripture. The truths are the truths of Ephesians 1 to 3, that you are chosen by God, that you are elect, that you are adopted, that you're washed in the blood of Christ, that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you have a hope in Christ, that Christ is seated in the heavenly places and you are seated there with him, that you are alive in Christ, that you're raised from the dead. These are all the truths that we're speaking into each other's lives so that we're not tossed around by the doctrines around us. Sometimes we grow in a certain area and we might measure our spiritual growth that we're really good in our love or that we're really good in our patience or we take one of the fruit of the Spirit and say we're good in these categories. The question is, what about these? We must continually grow in maturity in all facets of our life. This is the idea of growing in every single way in faith, knowledge, and unity, in love into the head who is Christ. Christ is sustaining us. So not only is God maturing us, Christ is sustaining us. We are connected to Christ from whom the whole body, from, from Christ, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together when it is equipped, each part. Christ is the one who is bringing us together. One of commentator O'Brien writes that Paul's focus is on the growth of the body as a whole, not on the need for individuals to become mature in Christ, however necessary this may be. Does that make sense? We want every single member to do their part so that the body, the church body as a whole is maturing. 
So that when a member, a person comes in through those doors, they see a mature body, not mature individual Christians. Although you would need mature individual Christians to make up a mature body, the end goal is that the body here at Gateway, where God has placed us, would be mature. That we would have people who are evangelizing, that we would have teachers, that we would have solid families, that we would have people who help families to live on mission and spread the gospel and raise their kids with a kingdom mindset. So that we would have those who are teaching Sunday school, so that we would have those who are encouragers and counselors, all of those things, so that our, our body would be healthy. We're connected to Christ. And then lastly, the body is working. The body is working. Each member, how are they? By, by every ligament that supports according to the measure of each person, right? Makes the body grow. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body's doing the work. We already looked at this in the second point, so I don't want to belabor that. I just want to highlight what D.L. Moody says. Satan separates, God unites, but love binds us together. The key word here, right, is that the body builds itself up in love. Of all the things Paul could have chosen, in truth, in, in, uh, in service, he says in love. Love is this overarching word that holds in, its, holds in itself so much. And so do you see, do you see how glorious Christ created the church? How he, has, how he has made it to function? And many of you already know these truths this morning, so for many of you it's just a reminder. A reminder of what God has designed and, and may this morning have been that for you. A reminder and encouragement to keep pressing on. Maybe for some of you this morning has been a ringing of the bell, a waking up call of sorts to say, what am I doing with my gift? Am I applying it to Gateway Bible Church, to this body that God has placed me in? Am I committed to God's pattern? And some of you might know your gift, and some of you might um, know how to work it, but you might be in a place of apathy or indifference, saying, well, what is my little gift going to do for the body? And so what God is calling us to today is have these attitudes to trust in Christ's distribution of the gifts, Right? to commit yourself to Christ's pattern and to rest in Christ's and God's sovereign working through the gifts. And I just want to, I want you to think about what kind of difference this would make in your personal life and in the life of, of our church. First of all, in your personal life, imagine what beauty there is when you fit well in a team. There, there's a big reason why there's clubs all over, all over the United States and all over the world. Golf clubs, yacht clubs, checkers and chess clubs, different sports clubs, baseball clubs and basketball clubs, and card playing clubs and table tennis clubs and book clubs and weaving clubs, whatever. What is your interest? We got a club for you. Why? Because you feel like you are part of something. Because you don't feel like you are just by yourself on the sideline. You are a part of a greater whole. You have a purpose. You found your place. You fit in in that club. And so God has created the church body. He says, I've given you a gift, and this is where you fit in. This is where you have a purpose. You are needed here. You are essential. You are going to grow and mature through you using your gift. You're not going to be tossed to and fro. Now imagine also as a church corporately, we are called to display God, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known right through the church. Christ said to his disciples, the whole world is going to know that you're my disciples. 
How and why? Because of the love that you have for one another. The love. Why? Because love is visible. Love is just as an idea, thought. Because love is action. Because love does. Because Christ loved us and he went to the cross. This is what love does. It acts, it sacrifices. And so, Christ calls us to be the salt and the light from the Sermon on the Mount. Imagine if we can be that to a greater degree as we're already doing. And to be an effective church, we must be a maturing church. To be a maturing church, we need to be unified and diverse. And so I want to close with an illustration, and I believe most of us fall into one of these two categories. An illustration of, of two wars, World War I and the Vietnam War. I want to take you back in a day of history, Sunday, September 7th, 1941. 7.50 a.m. that morning, Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. The operating base of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, 18 ships are hit, 200 planes are destroyed or damaged, 2,400 Americans are killed and 1,300 wounded. Within one hour, America turns from being a somewhat passive country in the war to a united nation desiring to win the war. All over the land on Monday, there's long lines at recruiting offices. Volunteers rush to join the armed forces without a second thought about their plans for the future. Tens of thousands report late to work or school that morning, only to say they're going to be leaving for boot camp in a few days. Teenagers and middle-aged men alike lie about their age and physical condition in order to put on the uniform. Grown men weep when they're told that they were unfit to fight. But what a contrast 25 years later. American soldiers are needed again in the battlefield. This time, the war is not as popular. Almost no one volunteers for Vietnam. Most people who fought had to be compelled into service through a military draft. And not a few of those <coughs> who were constricted went to college or even left the country. And so when it comes to serving in the local church, many of us will fall into those two categories. Christians follow either the World War II model or the Vietnam model. Some are eager to serve, ready to enlist themselves anywhere, regardless of their age, even though it's at a personal cost. They'll volunteer because their heart compels them to do something for God's church. Others need to be compelled to serve. They need to be pushed Asked, and maybe you don't know your gift. Maybe you haven't committed yourself to Christ's pattern. Maybe you don't know you were that vital to the body. Well, this morning you've heard from God's word what God says about his church, about his bride, about what he desires. The last step is to simply obey. And so how can we attain and maintain this kind of service? I want to read with you Ephesians 3, and this is going to be the key. The key. Before Paul gets to I, therefore, of chapter 4, verse 1, he closes chapter 3 speaking about God's great love for us in Christ. And you see, you need to be bathed and soaked and meditating on Christ's love for you to be able to continue serving. You need the love of Christ to overwhelm you so much that you will not be indifferent to the body that he made you a part of and the family that he placed you in. And this is what Paul says. This is going to be the strength that's going to keep you going is when you see God's great love for you in Christ. Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, and so I close in prayer the same. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning (coughs) for your wonderful word. This morning, we really heard what you desired to say to our hearts. May you continue to grow our love for you day by day. As you also write in your word that we may be compelled by your love, that the love of Christ may control us, that as we see how much you have done for us, we may say, Lord, how can we not serve you? How can we not lay down our life for your purposes and your glory, for the people who are in need in the body, the ones that you have placed, the body that you have placed me in with the gift that you have given me? So that not only the body may be mature, but that many others may come to know you because they see the great love that the members have for one another. Oh Lord, I pray that you may help us to do this at Gateway. We lean on you and we ask for your strength in Christ's name. Amen.